This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much uh, for joining me today, day one of season two. Brad for Living coming up in hour two, general manager of the Calgary Flames. He had a summer. Now, did a lot of things fall into Brad for Living's lap? Yeah. Luck's involved in sports. You're allowed to be a little bit lucky. Bill Zito saying, hmm, contracts for Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberdo are really going to kill my cap next season. Maybe we can do something about it. Let's see if Brad and Calgary can help. By the way, Matthew Kachuk, you want to talk about being miserable to play against? Like, the one thing we know about the Florida Panthers is the minute Zito took over, like, we'll just be honest. The Florida Panthers had the reputation. They were a really soft team. They were easy to play against. They would get pushed around. The one thing that Bill Zito did when he took over the team was we need to get tougher. We need to get meaner. We need to be, we need to be miserable to play against. So that's where you see the Sam Bennett's coming in. That's where I think Patrick Hornquist might have been Bill Zito's first move, Radko Gudis. Like it became a much tougher team to play against. Like it was miserable. It wasn't an easy two points on the road anymore for teams. And you add Matthew Kachuk to that mix. And if you look at the lines this morning, Matt Marchese, our producer, you know who's playing with Matthew Kachuk? I hadn't seen. Sam Bennett. Of course. Is that miserable to play against? Yes. And Paul Maurice, too, adding to that. Because as we know, the Panthers couldn't play a lick of defense last year. You know what? Outside of, like, I still maintain that Aaron Ekblad and Mackenzie Grieger were one of the best pairs in the NHL. Now Aaron Ekblad's playing with Gustav Forsling. I like Forsling. I don't like Forsling as much as I like Mackenzie Grieger. I think no. that's going to be huge for the Calgary Flames. But I, I still I still do think that Aaron Ekblad is amongst the elite defenders in the NHL. 100%. And, and the one thing that everybody kind of worried about when Ekblad got hurt was, well, what's this defensive unit going to look like? Didn't miss a beat. With Mackenzie Weaver. No, they're okay. Uh, so a couple of things I want to go over here with you. So Brad Trulivin coming up in hour two. Shannon Goldman, uh, I say tongue-in-cheek with the Millennial Hockey Report. She's smarter than I'll ever be, so millennial or, millennial or not. Intelligence uh, is key on this show, Jeff. Goldman comes in. I know, right? The key is sincerity. Learn how to fake that, and you got it made. Uh, <laughs> Shannon from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, the NHL season in North America kicks off tomorrow with a pair of games. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, Los Angeles Kings. That's your late game. Your early game uh, feature the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. The defending Stanley Cup champions don't get underway until the next day, which is rare. Normally, that's the opening game, but there's a concert. What are you going to do? So a couple of things from the preseason bleeding into the regular season, and I do put the accent on bleeding. Things to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. The Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders. So you oh. saw Ross Johnson and Ronnie Adderd. Okay, mm-hmm. Ronnie Adder's never had a fight. Ross Johnson may be the toughest player in the NHL. No, so, Nick Delorier is. Come on. Hang on a second here. <laughs> we might we may find out. Yep. We, we may we find might. out. So preseason game, while Delorier and uh, Zach McEwen's line is on the ice, Ross Johnson goes at the young defenseman, Ronnie Adder, who's not small. I think Adder's like six foot two, two hundred and fifteen pounds, maybe two hundred and ten pounds. Not a small guy, but he's not in the class of fighter as Ross Johnson. Ross Johnson goes at him. Nick Delorier gets held back by Matt Martin. Zach McEwen is standing there watching, which is interesting. Um, and the kid does okay, but you're fighting Ross Johnson. That is not who's lost. not small, by the way. That is not no, who's not small. <laughs> like that is not lost on the Philadelphia Flyers. So circle your November 26th and your Tuesday the 29th. Maddie, this will be like 1982. You know, we've heard John Tortorella talk a lot about identity and old orange and all this kind of stuff, right? Need to get back to what it means to be a Philadelphia Flyer. Can you do that in 2022? That's a legitimate question, but I think the Flyers will certainly try. Like, I think this is going to be, you know, Paul Holmgren and Glenn Cochran all over again and Bob Nystrom and Gary Howitt on the other side. Like, there's another one that's coming up too, although we're not going to get it until the new year. But Flyers-Islanders is going to be a spicy one, specifically if the Flyers fall out of it early, which I think we all expect will happen. Well, not only that, also let's see what the what happens with the Islanders. Because last year was a disaster. Like yes. that, Talk about a team that needs to get out of the gate really well. 
So they could they could be yeah. playing for a little bit extra in that in that early game because they, they need the points. They didn't really. I mean, I talked about bringing in. Uh, they brought in Alexander Romanov at the draft, and outside of that, there's not any new faces. There's new contracts, and Matthew Barzell signed a really sweet Cha-ching. deal. And I think Dylan Larkin is looking at that and saying thank you. And I think Bo Horvat is looking at Matthew Barzell's deal and saying thank you. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, like the Islanders, I mean, they were interested in players, but. Lou Lamorello didn't do anything other than Romanov comes in and they have a new head coach in Lane Lambert, who seems to be, you know, loosening the bungee cords a little bit. Hopefully. On the hockey players. Barry Trotz. I love Barry Trotz, but hopefully. Yeah. uh, Trotz is another issue we can address at maybe tomorrow's program. We'll do a thing on coaches, I think, tomorrow. Oh, yeah. On new coaches around the NHL. But you're right about the Islanders. So what do you you make of this team this year? Because (laughs) last year, like, there were a lot of – Teams don't want to use it as excuses, but like the fine line, the walk is to say, I'm not using it as an excuse. It's but, just a reason. Yeah. So there's the long road trip to kick off mm-hmm. uh, to kick off the season. Now, I kind of looked at that and said they still spent they still spent a lot of nights in their own bed, even though they were technically on a road trip. It was still games that were still close. It wasn't like one of these, you know, Western Hockey League. The circus road trips. No, it's not one of those, right? (laughs) Like you're playing in the Western Hockey League for Seattle and, you know, you're starting in Brandon and you're going all the way back, you know, Western Canada. It's not like that at all. Uh, They got hammered by COVID. Yes. Like they really, really got hammered by COVID. And they were the reason why the rule changed, where they started to, you know, reschedule games. Yeah. So, like, I I get it. Uh, They don't want to use it as an excuse, but we think the Islanders will be better. I just don't know. I like their goaltending. There's no question about that. I think Sorokin is, is so Sor- undervalued. Is Sorokin, the new Shesterkin, becomes the question. Can no, he do no, this because year? the Islanders can't score goals like the Rangers can. I think. I think yeah. the well. Let's not forget the Islanders were what one puck away from getting to the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago. They were, and, and we Vasilevsky forget about the, closed the door. But the problem is, is that since then the team hasn't changed all that much. They've just gotten older. They've gotten older, which is a problem. But that Metropolitan Division, when you look at it, the Devils should be better. Oh, big time. I think Devils, listen, if the Devils aren't better, yeah, there's, there's big. Because yeah. the one thing we said about the Devils last year was, this is a really good team that can't get a save. Yes. And they can't be. They can't stay healthy. We still like, don't know if they can get a save. Uh, we think they can get a save. Listen, we all know the situation last year with Mackenzie Blackwood and uh, COVID and the conversations with Tom Fitzgerald, the general manager, and what that led to. We all know this was a team that was dying for saves. The underlying numbers were fine for this mm-hmm. team outside of not being able to get a save. If he sure stays healthy, if Hughes stays healthy, uh, I see. I, I think you see the big pop year from Jack Hughes. Yep. Last year he was more than a point a game, really found his game. And I think if Nico Heischer stays healthy the entire season, and I really do believe this, and we've been waiting for this for a long time, I think we start to see Nico Heischer enter the conversation for the Selkie. Yes. If you look at how good this guy is defensively five on five and how he plays, I know the Selkie sometimes Maddie can be a reputational award, but once you're in the conversation, you don't leave, you don't leave. <laughs> it's hotel California. It is. You can check out anytime <laughs> you like, but you can never leave. Like you are just in it. Um, this may be Anthony Sorelli's year to win it. We'll see. Can Patrice Bergeron do it again? Yeah. But I think this is the year if he can stay healthy, that we start to include Nico Heischer in that conversation. For I sure. expect the devils to be better. Do they are they playoff better? I'm worried about that back. I end. think what happens. I think it it. I think you you wonder what happens with Washington. Mm-hmm. You think you you wonder the same thing. I think even though they've loaded up the Pittsburgh Penguins, like aging curves are real, right? Yeah, except for Tom Brady, he's the only <laughs> one right now. But yeah, and and Columbus is going to be a lot. Columbus is going to be. I I don't remember who I said this to, but. I'm going to watch a lot of Columbus Blue Jackets games this year, I'm pretty sure. And I'm sorry to my wife who's watching and listening right now. That's okay. Um, but they're going to they're gonna be whatever fun. You, whatever you guys use is foreplay. Yeah. If it's Columbus Blue Jackets hockey games, Maddie, that's your thing. That's between you and your wife. That's Jeff, cool, Jeff, man. you know we have a kid. There's no such thing as I know. It's all, it's all over. Congratulations, by the way. Yes, I should have mentioned you. that off the top. Congratulations. Don't worry you about had the big summer. Yeah. Became a dad. Yeah, I had a lot of time off. Became a dad. Okay, and, so here's a question. Then. Yes. Right-hand shot or left-hand shot? Um, she, what is she for? Hopefully for her sake, she's a right-handed shot because we know that those are a lot more in demand. Right-hand shot. But, she, but with my luck, she's going to be a dancer because those competitions are so much fun. They are very expensive too. Yes. 
I want to stick to hockey. I've, All right. Uh, um, one of the things I wanted to, to get to you, too, is I was mentioning the, the Islanders and Flyers. Um, I don't know the last time. I don't know the last time. Maybe ever. You said, I can't wait to watch Arizona and Anaheim. <laughs> yes. Is that the first game for Arizona <laughs> in the mullet arena? Uh, no, they will not face each other until January 24th oh, that and 28th. Uh, Trevor Zegers gets popped by Jan Janik in the offseason. More fights. Nick Ritchie's involved. Cassian's involved. We all know what happened last year with Beagle and Troy Terry and the bad blood between the two. You know, that doesn't sit well with a head coach in Dallas Akins, who when he played was real tough. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't sit well with the general manager, Pat Verbeek, who when he played was real tough. You know, Elliot on the, the last podcast said he wonders if Akins and Verbeek will address themselves for those games against the Arizona. I wouldn't, if I'm Arizona, I wouldn't want to play against, against them. the Arizona coyotes, but those are like, we look at the bad blood games and Arizona and I've had a thing going on now for a, for a little while. Anybody that's, that's watched those teams closely, but I think you throw those two teams in the category of, Hmm, Islanders flyers. That could be combustible. Anaheim and Arizona is the same. Yeah. And my only concern is, I mean, the Islanders and flyers, maybe they're a little bit closer in terms of talent, but Arizona is a, that's a sinking ship. Yeah, we know, we know that. And we know I wonder how much of that happen- plays in. We know it. what's happening there. Yeah, but I wonder if Anaheim takes a step forward, which I I think we both think they're going to take at least a little bit of a step forward with their younger guys getting older and and Mason McTavish coming in. I yeah. think they're going to be better. They're I don't think they're a playoff team, but they're going to be better. And I wonder how much that changes like in terms of rivalries when yeah. one team starts to separate themselves. It's like, you're not on our level. We don't care about you. You're not our problem. Mm. We saw that for the longest time with Toronto and Ottawa. Yeah. It wasn't the same as those battle of Ontario games. Right. And, and I wonder if that plays into that, you know, rivalry, so to speak, actually, so, there's another thing we need to talk about with rivalries too and playoffs, but we can get to that. Later. So let me stick on Anaheim for a second. Yeah. Cause I'm like you, I don't, I don't write them off and say they're going to be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Like, no, they're not going to be that level of, of bad team. Mm-mm. Like gets has gone. That's, that's a real tough one. Sonny Milano you know, went and had the, the PTO with Calgary that ended up going nowhere. You mentioned Mason McTavish, John Klingberg comes in on a one-year deal. Yep. I think we know what the play is there. They bring in Klingberg one year, $7 million contract trade deadline. He ends up somewhere else. Uh, yesterday on the podcast I did with Fried, he speculated about Edmondson. Did Pat Verbeek work John under Steve Eiserman by any chance? Uh, oh yeah, the one the one year deal where we're just going to trade guys for assets. It's brilliant. It's smart. Why not? But Klingberg does make a lot of sense. He makes a lot of sense in a lot of places. You know what? You know where Klingberg makes sense right now? Dallas. You know why? <laughs> because they, it's not Rick Bonus. Like yes. Rick Bonus was the worst. Like I don't say the worst coach was the wrong coach for John Klingberg. Yeah, Peter DeBoer, where a lot of a lot of cling, a lot of Peter DeBoer's offense is created from point shots, mm-hmm. and created from the back end. Like DeBoer's big thing is always, you know, in the playoffs, rebound goals, win the game, make rebounds, make rebounds. A lot of that starts at the back end. And all I'm thinking here is, man, that's John Klingberg. Yeah, that's why Miro Heiskanen is going to have a big year. Should have a big year. Should. Absolutely. Yeah. No, but Klingberg, Klingberg makes it, and he's a right-handed shot. Like that's the other thing, the right-handed shot defenseman it feels like there's less and less of them every single year. Yeah. And, and I was stunned at how long he stayed on the market for stunned. I know he the wanted, money was he there. He wanted in a term. number yeah. and he let go of his agent because of it. Like there was, it was a contentious off season. For him. There was, there was an offer from, or there was, how do I phrase this? There was big interest from Carolina before they got Brent, Brent Burns. Burns. Like the way he was looking to shake, like on free agent day, you remember going into that day and making the calls on the way in and, and tweets and texts and everything. We kind of expected that Brent Burns was going to sign with the Dallas Stars. You know, that was Pavelski, you know, luring his, luring his, his, his buddy back. Uh, Pavelski to the Dallas Stars, uh, Brent Burns to the Dallas Stars, and John Klingberg to the Carolina Hurricanes. And there had been some noise all season long about John Klingberg mm-hmm. going to the Carolina Hurricanes, going back to when they had the first contract impasse between his camp and Jim Nill. That's what we all thought it was going to be. Yeah. And it, the Bur- I, I'm actually really curious to see Brent Burns fit in Carolina because Brent Burns is, he's basically the NHL's wild man. And that's not how Rod Brindamore operates Wait a minute. on the ice. Wait a minute, though. That's fine. But look who he's playing with. Like, if you have, like, the ultimate wild man yeah, put, on the back end, yeah, put, put him, him with, with Jacob Slade. Exactly. Have him, have him stay at home. But I, I, I think that 
Carolina. And the Max Pacioretty injury sucks for them. It does. He'll be back, though. But, but, But it sucks for them because that felt like a really good fit, too, on a team that needs to score goals. I think that Don Waddell had an absolutely fantastic offseason. Mm-hmm. It felt like he got Brent Burns and Max Pacioretty for nothing. Two well, guys that are offensive producers. He and did, He pretty much pretty, did. He pretty much did. But that's that's a team that I'm really curious to see. The identity is not going to change too much, but it's going to change enough. I think I think Rod Brindamore realizes, hey, we need to maybe, you know, like, like the Islanders are going to do, loosen the reins a little bit. I think that's going to be interesting to see what they do in Carolina. Can Andrei Svechnikov score 40? He can. Will he? I don't know. Talent-wise, yes, he can. How good can Seth Jarvis be? Hopefully can Ma- good. Can I'm... Martin Nature, why, did you get him in one of your pools? That was two of them. Thing? Oh, <laughs> that's what it always comes down to for you. All right, uh, we'll hit a break. Hour two is on the horizon. Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast will stop by. But joining me next, he's the general manager of the Calgary Flames. What an offseason Brad Treliving had. We'll talk to him next as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up at the um, bottom of it, we'll talk to Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. The millennial hockey report, he says, tug-in-cheek, knowing full well that she's, like, one of the most brilliant people in the game. I should probably stop talking about millennials like that. I always look forward to talking to Shana. We're standing by for Brad Treliving. He's a general manager of the Calgary Flames. Uh, they opened up on the 13th against the uh, Colorado Avalanche. Uh, the Avalanche, by the way, defending Stanley Cup champions, as we all know. Um, the Avalanche, who last year really dined out uh, with some great efforts by Nazem Kadri. Nazem Kadri, now a member of the Calgary Flames. One of the things uh, we'll talk to Brad Treliving about. You know, you know, it's interesting. We talked this summer about a lot about it being the summer of Pierre, and that means the summer of Pierre Dorian and everything that he was able to do for the Ottawa Senators going back to the draft. Um, you know, they were they were hunting Mackenzie Weger. Uh, we all believe uh, Brad Living ended up getting him in the Matthew Kachuk deal. Uh, we know all about the Alex DeBrinket trade. We'll talk about Alex DeBrinket plenty this season with the Ottawa Senators, uh, getting you know pen to paper on Tim Stutzla, uh, getting pen to paper on Josh Norris. It was a really good summer, a really good summer for Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators. And also, not lost in all of this, like, it's always interesting when a general manager can turn a negative story into a positive one. You know, losing two-thirds of the best line in the NHL and actually maybe turning it into a positive by way of the players you bring in, Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, and then Nazem Kadri, that's impressive. Like, there were many, and I count myself as one of them, that going into last season, you know, the vote was held before the season – you know, would have said, general manager of the year, Brad Treliving. You might say the same thing heading into this one because he took a negative and turned it into a positive. He joins me now. Brad Treliving, general manager of the Calgary Flames. Uh, Brad, good afternoon. How are you today? Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me on. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, boy, there's a whole lot to talk about here. You had a, a really busy offseason. Before we start to drill down on some of the moves specifically and, you know, the, the new look Calgary Flames once again, um, were you able to get done everything that you wanted to get done this summer? Um, I guess the answer is we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think you're ever done. I don't think, you know, listen, we're going to, we're going to start the season, um, here this week. And I think you're always looking to, you know, improve your team. It's sort of a motherhood cliche statement, but, um, you know, we'll see it depending on how your team performs. But, you know, certainly we had some turbulence here going into the off season or at the beginning of the, of the summer. And, you know, for us, there's, there's, there's been a lot of change. So you got to let that sort of settle and see if we can find some chemistry and see how everything fits here. But, you know, I still think there's tweaking we need to be doing. Um, you know, I, th- I think our defense is one that we, we, we like it, you know, We've got to see how all the pieces fit, and, and obviously bringing McKenzie in is the biggest change. And 
and just see how see how we can integrate them. Obviously, our goaltending remains the same, and, and we think it's a, a strong point for us with with Marky and, and Danny back there. And then the Ford group has probably been, you know, there's been the most change there. And, mm-hmm. You know, if I look at it, I'd say I think we're strong, and, and I really like how we shape up down the middle. And then now it's trying to figure out how everybody fits with everybody. So um, did we get everything done? I guess the you know. I still think we've got some tweaking to do, but we got to see how all the pieces fit. You know, I, I started off the uh, the program today by talking about the Calgary Flames two years ago, and after those, you know, empty calorie games against the Vancouver Canucks and the COVID shortened season, and how everyone must have felt. And you know, Brad, if I if if I told you at the end of those four games with Vancouver that in two years, uh, Mark Giordano would be gone, Matthew Kachuk would be gone, Johnny Gaudreau would be gone, Sean Monahan would be gone. What would you have said about you know where the Calgary Flames were at? <laughs> well, it, it, it would be you'd probably wait, raise some eyebrows um, <laughs> when you talk about those you know those those players and, and what they've meant here. Well, first of all, the, the, how good of players they are and how important they are and and uh, and what they've meant to the organization here. So um, you know, change. Change happens, and like I said, they, you know, we knew we knew going into, you know, at the, at the end of two years ago, I guess, you know, we knew we had um, Seattle coming in, and, and and every team was going through sort of that expansion process, and how how you know it affected some more than it did others, and and Mark was one where, um, you know, that was it was a tough tough one for us, right, in terms of. You know, wanting wanting Mark to be here, um, but there wasn't a, a, an easy right answer. And knowing that, you know, you you could only protect X amount of defensemen and the cost to 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 you know to keep Mark here. Um, so that I just I've got you know I just I've got all the respect in the world and mm-hmm. strong relationship with Gio. Um, so we you, you kind of saw that there might that one may be coming down. Um, you know, you saw the light in the train track, and and uh, you saw it coming. And then, and then this summer was just, like I said, you you and we've talked about it a lot. Um, it's time for us to move forward now. But but we knew players had certain rights um, going into last year at the end of the year with their contracts, and uh, ultimately, you know, they made some decisions and and. Uh, you know, we had to move forward. You know, Brad, it was a fascinating summer all around the NHL of, of, of contract signings. And, you know, one of the things that we noted was, and I guess sort of loosely we're calling it the Calgary effect, that, you know, the situation with both Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, did you get the sense that that scared other teams in, in, into locking up players? Like, did you look at deals and say, okay, well, that's that's because of what I went through, or this is because what have I went through? I went through, and and other managers didn't want to go through the same thing. Oh, I don't, I don't, I never really looked at it that way, Jeff. I think everybody's got their own, um, you know, their own situations that they deal with, and I think, you know, if there's if there's one commonality that you would you would put over the court or, or throughout the league is is just the cap pressure that that a flat cap that we've been living in over the course of the last couple of years has had. And, and each year, you know, each team has their different pressure points in terms of what contracts are up, whether they be, you know, RFA guys, pending UFAs. Um, and the fact that we haven't had cap growth of any significant nature over the last three years, I think to me, that's been more of the, the pressure point than anything maybe that we've gone through. Everybody knows you know, throughout the league, that you know, mm-hmm. going a player going into his last year when he's when he becomes a new UFA, um, you know, there's challenges. But you know, you have to you have to look at your own situation of what other contracts you have coming up, or what your future cap situation is. So I think those those you know, everybody's individual situation played a bigger role than than maybe what we went through. Uh, Nazem Kadri, um, right away, you know, we heard about teams like the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then, of course, we all speculated about the New York Islanders. And it seems at, time that was cl- at times that was close. Um, at what point did you think you were, you were really close to landing Nazem Kadri? At what point did you say, you know what, I think we really have a shot here? Oh, I mean, it was a unique situation, Jeff, because we had interest in the player right off the, you know, right off the start of free agency. But our situation was, you know, there was there was a few balls in the air here that we really couldn't, 
yeah. other than the saying that we have interest in the player, um, we really couldn't do anything. And so, uh, quite honestly, we we didn't we didn't burn a lot of calories with it. You know, uh, hmm. we thought he was going to get signed um, early on. We expressed an interest and just said to to to, to Nas and to Darren, like we we really like he's a player, but you know, here's what we have on the horizon until we get some clarity. You know, we don't want to jam you up or 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 get too far down the path and something that may not happen. The way it worked out, you know, and and sometimes this happens, and I, and I refer back again to the cap where there where there wasn't a lot of growth. And early on in free agency, when people make signings, all of a sudden you've got a lot of people that are up against it, and you still had a really good player out there. So it was probably, whenever, you know, whenever it is we signed them, um, you know, it was probably a week or so, 10 days before, that we felt comfortable that we were, you know, we were going to get him, but but we had to make 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 a move to free up the space. So um, it was up and down. I think, like I said, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of interest as there should be in the, in, in that type of player. Um, and I think what they were trying to sort through is is just the you know the situation of every team and who could make space and um, and so on and so forth. So it was it was it was not a uh, foregone conclusion by any stretch mm-hmm. until until we got to the end of the end of the day and it eventually got signed. With Brad Treliving, general manager of the Calgary Flames, you know, once upon a time in the uh, in the Battle of Alberta, and you know this well, um, the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers would make moves knowing that these two teams would be meeting all throughout the regular season and probably meet in the playoffs as well. So. You know, Calgary. You know, we need someone to match up against Mark Messier at the draw. Here comes Joel Otto. Like these types of moves. I know you're only playing each other three times this season. We all have our fingers crossed as hockey fans. We get to see the Battle of Alberta again. Is any part of your decision making influenced by we need to beat those guys up the road? Does that enter? Because we looked at Nazem Kadri signing Brad and I'll be honest we all said oh man life just got miserable for Connor McDavid is that ever in the back of your mind I think it's dangerous Jeff to 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 focus in on one team listen Edmonton I think is is an elite team we all know they've got you know probably two of the best two the two best players in the world um and 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 it's not just them uh they've got a terrific uh supporting cast around them it's an elite team uh, no question, and it's a it's probably the favorite in the West and the favorite in especially the favorite in our division. Um, but I think you you, you got to be careful of just saying okay we have got to focus in on on beating this team. Um, we're, you try to make your team you know as as deep as you possibly can and be able to handle whatever challenges you know present themselves in in, in whatever style of play it is. You know um, we think we've got an identity to our team. We try to stick. You know, stay as close to that as we possibly can. Um, but we know the challenge that at not only Edmonton but all the teams in our division present. And I think you know, you got Vegas, you got you know, you've got Vancouver, who I think is a real, real good team. Then you've got teams that have, you know, have kind of been rebooting here a little bit um, in the California team. Seattle, I think, had a had a great off season. What Ronnie's done down there. So I think this division is mm-hmm. is really, really strong, um, and and you know, Edmonton being right there, um, you know, at the top. And, and, you know, we know the challenge it is going against them. So um, certainly you're aware of who your competition is and, and how you could match up against them. But I think focusing in on one team or, or picking a particular player to say, okay, we, we've got to build everything around to stop this, you've you got to be careful of that. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, hey, we all love that that rivalry. I think it's what makes rivalries or what makes sports great. And I think this is probably as good as anyone, if not the best one in the NHL. And and still, there's a responsibility. The, the rivalry only matters when the teams are good. Yes. So you know, it's it's important True. for us to live up to our end of the bargain. And uh, <laughs> um, so that's what we're trying to do. You know, that's interesting you say live up to our end of the bargain because, you know, we looked at the Matthew Kachuk deal and we said, hold on a second here. Like, they, they've turned, the Calgary's turned a really negative situation into maybe a net positive, and we'll see how the season plays out. We all wonder, you know, with these moves, have the Calgary Flames actually gotten better through all of this? Like, when you when when you look back and, you know, you you went through the situation with Matthew Kachuk and, and did the deal with the, with, with the Florida Panthers, 
I'm curious, was that you looking at Florida's, you know, impending cap situation, knowing it was still going to be flat when Huberto and Uyghur uh, were due new deals and you had an idea of what Matthew Kachuk was, was going to make? And was that Brad Treliving saying, hey, you know, I can I can help you out of this situation here, Bill, if you give me a second on the phone. How did that one come together? Well, it was it was. You know, it was there was a lot of moving parts in a short period of time. You know, and Matthew instructed us that he wasn't, you know, he 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 wasn't intending to sign with us long term. Uh, you know, we went into the market and, and worked closely with his representative, Craig Oster, who I said at the time and continue to maintain. You know, without without their cooperation and, and Craig's cooperation, and Matthews, you know, we 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 would have been in a far different situation. So um, it was it was. You don't like to get the news that we got from Matthew when he said, listen, this is the decision I made. But ultimately, that's his decision to make. Um, and then at that point in time, we just started getting to work. And, and ultimately, they they furnished us a list of teams that he would have interest in signing with. Um, it was a short list, but it was it was more than one. So it gave us an opportunity to get, get in touch with those teams um, and then just start working through the process. And and in, in like any transaction in today's world, uh, today's NHL, you, I mean, obviously you're looking at the player and the skill set and all the rest of it, but number one, you've got to look at the finances. And, you know, it started with Matthew and, and having an idea what he was going to command. Um, and so then, you know, how's that going to impact the acquiring team? And then you start to look at what opportunities may be available to you from them. So, it, it it felt like an eternity that we were going through mm-hmm. that whole process, but it was a you know it was just under a week from you know from the time well probably about a week from the time we you know got going and and you know talked to several teams and sort of worked through some different scenarios and ultimately you know um, we'll see how it all plays out but you know certainly when when Billy and us started talking about the names that you know we start ended up you know, acquiring it, that excited us. And uh, Matthew Kachuk is one hell of a player. He's a unique player in the league, and I think he's going to be a, um, you know, I think he's going to be a tremendous addition for the for the Florida Panthers. Um, so we, we, we felt we had to, obviously, when you move a type of that player, you're trying to look mm-hmm. um, for the best possible return, and we're, we're excited about the players that we got back. You know, we, we all know that, you know, these are huge names in this deal. And it's, you know, as a hockey fan, it's great to see deals like this go down. Um, was anybody else close or did Florida just blow everyone out of the water? Well, I think there was, I mean, ultimately it's a deal we did. So I think, you know, for us, we felt this was the best possible deal we could do. I mean, we were engaged with a a few other teams and I think, uh, um, the best of the deals that were presented to us, um, by far, we felt that this was this made the most sense, and it wasn't just you know, um, you know, for for a number of reasons. It just these players fit, you know, not only the name, you know, it's not necessarily you're, you're going off for the biggest names, but they, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at at the fits for us, you know, John, Johnny Gaudreau had left, so yep. to add a player of of Jonathan Huberto's um, skill set, you know, mirrors a lot of how how John played with us, and uh, you know, then to get you know, to one of the areas, you know, prior to all the stuff happening in the summer, when we really did our our deep dive at the end of the year, we thought we wanted, you know, an area that we needed to upgrade was our defense. You know, we, we had a good defense last year. If we could get deeper and, and upgrade that area, was an area that we wanted to look at. So when McKenzie comes in, it starts to fit. So um, certainly there was lots of interest. We were limited in, in terms of the teams that we could talk to. You know, this wasn't a, this wasn't a transaction that you engaged in. You know, thirty other. Teams. That's just it. Just you couldn't. Right. Um, and uh, so, so as we as we went through the process, we were we were really excited about the players that we got back, and and certainly was the very best deal that uh, was available to us. Uh, we'll end on this one, Brad. And I, you're always generous with your time, and I thank you for it. Um, how, if at all, uh, how much was was your coach consulted or? Sort of appraised on, hey, here are the players we're looking at bringing in. Because whether it's Kadri or Uyghur or you know one elite playmaker comes in for another in, in Jonathan Huberto, you know these all really do seem like you know Sutter Calgary players. Well, I I, I think 
you know, I certainly include the coach in all conversations we're having. And I don't think I'm unique to that. I don't think that's mm-hmm. unique to, to us. I think, you know, we, we try to be collaborative here in terms of our management staff. Uh, you know, I've got a very strong staff that works with me on, 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 on all these types of things. But certainly Daryl, you know, at the end of the day, is, as the head coach and the guy who's, you know, determines who's on the team and who's not and, and who, who gets to play more than, than others, you know, I talk to him about everything. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about what type of skill set we're looking for. And, and uh, so as we were going through this process, you know, not only, not only this process in summer, but anything. You know, we, we talk every day about, you know, um, what's the best fit for us. So, you know, I, I, was, I was in close communication with Daryl throughout the process, not only with Florida, but as we, you know, acquired Nas and, and really in any move that we make, um, you know, ultimately I got to make those final decisions, but, uh, I think you have to be, you have to consult the coach and, and get his opinions, you know, good and bad and, uh, ultimately come to a conclusion. So Daryl was well aware as we were going down these processes and, and pushed very hard. Um, you know, as we talked about the opportunities were in front of us and the players that we talked about, uh, pushed very hard to, to get these guys here. So, um, you know, he's, he's a big part of that process. Nazem Kadri, Mackenzie Wieger, Jonathan Huberto, uh, you've kept it spicy, and it's uh, it's great to see, Brad. Um, congratulations on the summer you just had. Best of luck this year with the Flames. I appreciate it, Jeff. There he is. Uh, Brad Living is the general manager of the Calgary Flames. Uh, isn't it just great to see a, a, an off-season blockbuster? Like, I grew up in the era where, you know, the the off-season, heck, even in-season, you know, blockbuster trades were the call of the day. I know that the salary cap puts a lot of pressure and, um, you know, really – the hockey trade, the massive hockey deal has kind of gone by the wayside as everyone needs to measure up their money. And it means that, you know, big deals, the likes of which we're used to seeing if you're from my vintage and maybe you watched hockey in the, in, in the eighties specifically, I know those have gone by the wayside. Um, but Brad for living, man, like I know part of it was luck and I know he only had a certain number of teams he could talk to, only a certain number of teams that, you know, Matthew Kachuk was going to waive to go to. Uh, I would have to believe that the St. Louis Blues, considering that's home for the Kachuk family, maybe they would have been close uh, on a Matthew Kachuk deal. I think we've all wondered, you know, whether both Kachuk brothers somewhere, somehow end up playing together. And can that be at home in St. Louis? I'd have to imagine that St. Louis would have been high on that list. Um, You know, Doug Armstrong and, Brad for living. That would have been an interesting conversation. Uh, I would also think, um, you know, I've all, I always maintain that the one place I could see Matthew Kachuk outside of Calgary was Vegas. He just seems like a Vegas type personality. I believe that Vegas would have been one of those teams um, that Matthew Kachuk would have agreed to go to. Um, that could have been a really interesting conversation. And we all know that when a big player is available, when a big player is available, put it this way, when a big player is available in the NHL, you can always count on two teams being interested right out of the gate. Vegas is one of them and Carolina is the other. And then in a lower key, because they were interested in everybody and have been interested in all the big names, whether it was Taylor Hall when he was available Artemi Panarin, he's available, and that's Colorado, which is why I think we all wondered. I know I certainly did, and maybe it still happens. I always wondered about JT Miller in Colorado. I think a lot of people are wondering about Patrick Kane in Colorado. I think with that second-line center hole now filled by Alex Newhook, if that doesn't work, you wonder about Jonathan Taves, maybe as a member of Colorado somewhere. Again, a lower key. They haven't landed the big one yet. Colorado's always been around it, but the two major ones, Carolina always wants the big star player and ditto for the Vegas Golden Knights. The Florida Panthers uh, seem to alleviate a lot of their cap issues and still get better, I would argue, and tougher to play against in the playoffs by adding Matthew Kachuk. Like, here's here's the interesting thing. We've talked about this plenty, Elliot and I have on the podcast. You know, Mark Bergevin's old, old, old line was always like this. There are players that get you there and there are players that get you through, which is a way of saying the regular season is different than the playoffs, dummy. And there are players that are really good in the regular season, but then the playoffs start and the same impact isn't there. For some, it never happens, right? For some players, it never happens. For others, it may not happen at first, 
Like, how many times did you hear, oh, Pavel Datsuk can't play in the playoffs? Now, listen, first few times at it, Pavel Datsuk was pretty inconsequential in the playoffs. But then he finally figured it out. Players that get you there, players that get you through. Matthew Kachuk, who last year was a 100-point player, so was Jonathan Huberto, always nice when a 100-point player gets traded for another 100-point player. Matthew Kachuk is kind of both. And I shouldn't say kind of. Matthew Kachuk is really both, like that style of player. And if Florida goes on a long run, and there are a lot of question marks around the Florida Panthers this year. Can, like last season was the all-in season for Florida, and it won them one round. They beat Washington. And even that didn't look good early. Remember that, everybody? How it didn't look good against the Washington Capitals early in that. Remember after that first game, everybody? Uh-oh. Are the Florida Panthers <laughs> actually going to lose to the Washington Capitals? The old guys in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the Metropolitan Division. Now, they turned it around and they finally figured out a way after, you know, Washington, you know, took away their neutral zone game. And they got there. But then we all saw what happened against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it was ugly. But last year was the all-in season. They were firing draft picks, prospect, all of it out the doors, trying to get this team to have a deep playoff run. So that doesn't work. And again, they bring in another player who they believe is someone that doesn't just get you there, but gets you through in Matthew Kachuk. Calgary, on the other hand, swap out one elite-level playmaker in Johnny Gaudreau, in exchange for another elite playmaker, both of them wingers. That is the phenomenon the last 10 years in the NHL, the playmaking winger. Going from Johnny Gaudreau to Jonathan Huberto. Is that a wash? Some would say yes. So then it becomes, they add Nazem Kadri and Mackenzie Weger and surrender Matthew Kachuk. And again, the proof will be when the puck drops here and we play 82 games and we see what happens in the playoffs. Is all of that, does all of that add up to a net positive for the Calgary Flames? Don't know. One of the questions that the season is going to answer. But right now, strongly, you can make the argument that the Calgary Flames are a better team. And when I say that, you have to keep in mind who the coach is and how that coach wants to play. Nazem Kadri, Mackenzie Weger, Jonathan Huberto, minus Goodrow, minus Eric Goodbranson. Don't forget about him. And also minus Matthew Kachuk. One of the fascinating stories around the NHL, which gets underway in North America. We've already seen the two games in Prague, uh, Nashville, winning both games against the San Jose Sharks last Friday and Saturday. This all gets underway tomorrow. That will be Tuesday. Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the New York Rangers. And here's the question. I don't know if the Rangers have it to win the Stanley Cup, but can we see the New York Rangers winning the conference? Because when you look at the Eastern Conference, you can say, all right, like I said in the first hour, it's the fool that bets against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Gotcha. I think that there are big question marks around the Florida Panthers. There's always going to be the question mark of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Can they get out of the first round? And if they do... Do they have the horses to go further than the second? A lot of that probably is predicated on health, and a lot of that is probably predicated on goaltending. We'll pause the Maple Leafs conversation and maybe pick that one up tomorrow. You look at the Metropolitan Division, I think rightly you can say the Carolina Hurricanes can win the conference, and also the Carolina Hurricanes have a shot at winning the Stanley Cup. Do we throw the New York Rangers into that mix as well? Like, it was at the beginning of last season where we were ready to throw the New York Islanders in that mix. Back-to-back Final Four appearances. They're ready to take that next step. And crash and burn for the New York Islanders. Can they get back into that conversation? I, for one, am skeptical, but we'll see. But when you look at teams in the Metropolitan, I know the Pittsburgh Penguins have the band back together. Latang resigns, Rust resigns, Malkin is back. Crosby is always Crosby. They're running this thing back for a couple of more seasons to see what they get out of it and maybe in the process start to restock some of the draft capital and prospect capital because right now it's pretty barren. There's not a whole lot of, well, this is what the next wave of Penguins are going to look like. That's not there right now. You wonder about age with them. 
and you wonder about age with the Washington Capitals, you worry about injuries with the Capitals, and you wonder if the Washington Capitals, you know, are going to turn into the the one-person story. Can OV catch Gretzky? And that's it. I don't think so, but you wonder at what point we've been saying it for the Caps for a number of years. At one point, at what point does the aging curve finally catch up to OV and company? We shall see. Uh, thanks to Brad for living general manager of the Calgary flames for stopping by and thanks to the flames for making him available uh, on this Monday. We're going to step away and, and come back with, with Shannon Goldman. I want to pick up the conversation um, about maybe, you know, sleeper teams, teams that maybe we should be paying more attention to and off season moves that may have flown under the radar, but not hers. Shannon Goldman from the athletic and the too many men podcast joins me here in a couple of moments. I wonder where she's at on the Rangers. You know, she is a uh, she's a New York person. I think Rangers might be her team. Uh, I know she's a big Yankees fan. You know, she was roasting me about the Jays on the weekend, eight to one. Thank you, Shana. Thank you. Uh, we'll see where she's at on the Rangers, on the Carolina Hurricanes, and stories we may have missed this off season from her perch. Shana Goldman from the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast joins me next. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet Three Sixty. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Here's something interesting. Edmonton Oilers today, as we're all very excited and eager to see what line combinations look like, what your team look like, what your team look like, who's playing with who. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto, a little bit nicked up for the Edmonton Oilers, so that means Jesse Pugliarvi playing with Connor McDavid and Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane. Evander Kane, I'm still in July, apparently. Although the Oilers were interested in Patrick Kane in the offseason. More on that on another show. Uh, Dylan Holloway playing with Leon Dreisaitl and Zach Hyman. Interesting and maybe a really effective top six right there. Uh, Shana Goldman here from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. She never makes mistakes like that, do you, Shana? Never. Me, a typo? Never. <laughs> uh, how are you, Shana? How was your summer? I'm good. It was short, but good. Um, how are you? Uh, I am well. I am excited to be back, and I'm excited that uh, NHL hockey is on the horizon starting tomorrow with a couple of games. Uh, and I want to get to a couple of these teams here. But uh, but up first, I uh, just had a chance to speak to Brad Treliving, GM of the Calgary Flames. And I'm trying to figure out in my own head, and the, the season's going to answer this question, so maybe it's you know, even asking it as moot. But just as an, an initial thought, so the Calgary Flames... Johnny Gaudreau goes to Columbus. Matthew Kachuk goes to Florida. Uh, and they bring in Nazem Kadri, Jonathan Huberto, and Mackenzie Weger. From Colorado's point of view, are the Calgary Flames better or are they worse? Have they taken a step forward? Have they taken a step back? Or is this one a push right now? I think that the Flames are better in certain ways and they're worse in certain ways. Like, they don't have that same star power at the top of their lineup to compete with Colorado. But what they have is like a better top six, which I really think they needed. There was so much pressure on the Johnny Gaudreau line to do everything last postseason. They really struggled to figure out how to like shake up that bottom nine to get really anything from them. So to have a better one-two punch, which they have now, is going to help them go against Colorado, who separated their big three to have that one-two punch that no one's able to beat. Mm -hmm. How does Kadri fit in there? I mean, he's a really good second-line center. You look at Backlund last year, and he's a very good center to have. Selkie Caliber can go against top competition, shut down you know some of the best forwards in the league, and that's great and wonderful to have. Mm-hmm. But your second-line center, ideally, there's a little bit more offense coming from them. So Kadri brings that. You know, He's a dual threat. He shoots the puck a ton. He can set up his teammates. And having both of those skill sets, I think, is going to help him age a little bit better, too, because he is in his 30s, and players inevitably decline. But I think that he's the kind of center that Mangiapane was missing last year. So now you have a center you can count on for offense and, you know, be tough to play against. So maybe, you know, defenders are thinking twice, who do you, you know, go up against? If the Kadri line's hot, do you try to focus on them versus Huberto's line? Like, I think it just gives Calgary a much better advantage there. Let me ask about the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, we're on in Vancouver. Um, always curious about that squad. And at the beginning of the season, we all, beginning of the offseason, rather, we all wondered – 
not who is going to be re-signed, but who is going to be sent out the door to create cap space. Instead, it was Besser extension, it was JT Miller extension, it was we're, we're keeping the band together here. Um, and maybe that's a calculation that's just made looking around the division and saying, okay, Edmonton and Calgary are locks here. After that, we have some question marks. You know, we don't know what Vegas is going to be. Uh, they've let go of some players, and the goaltending is a huge question mark. Uh, and Nick Hague still hasn't signed. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings, who made it in last season, was that real or was that fool's gold? Maybe we do have a shot here. How do you see Vancouver, Shana? I think that they're a fringe team right now in the Pacific, and I think that we could underestimate them for sure. Quinn Hughes could break out to be that true elite number one defenseman. He's getting close to it, but if he can jump out a little bit more at five-on-five, and that's why I'm a little curious if he plays the right side more because I think there's a little bit more potential for him to do so. You Mm -hmm. know, if he's a little bit more flexible in that, um, there's potential for them to overperform that. And, you know, and if Elias Patterson keeps building on the second half, but they took this really interesting gamble on a core that – most teams probably wouldn't have looked at and went, this is our playoff core. This is what we're moving forward with. And we're going to tie ourselves to them. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting year and it should define their path forward, especially when you look at the Horvat situation mm-hmm. and you have to contemplate, do we want too many players on contracts that might not age well, you know, at the same time, or do you take the Miller one and now try to have more cost effective and, you know, more longevity from those deals around him? Like, I think that's the biggest thing. So how they start seems pretty important compared to other teams where you can give them time to find their footing. How Vancouver starts, you know, they might have to like jump into action a little bit sooner and start changing things if it doesn't go right. Yeah, see, I, I'm I'm still stunned that here we are October the 10th and we're still talking about, you know, a Bohorovat contract extension. I, I thought that this, like, I, I know it's not going to be cheap. Like, I know this is probably going to start with a seven. Uh, that it's not gonna that it's not gonna be a six, but still, I, I'm I'm still surprised that we're here talking about Bohorvat, Bo um, still unsigned by the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and you know, like, listen, uh, there's a, a, a few huge stories coming out of Vancouver this summer. Um, but you know, as far as hockey players go, how did you react to the JT Miller re-signing? We were all marrying him either to oh he's going to the Penguins, oh he's going to the Avalanche, oh he's going to the Rangers. No, it's going to be the Islanders now at the draft. How did you see the the JT Miller situation play out in the offseason? I was to be honest with you, I was I was shocked. I thought he was going. I, I, he still might. There still isn't trade protection this year, so they still might move JT Miller. They have the ability to do so. Um, but your thoughts on him getting re-signed at eight a copy? It's a bold choice, and if I had to choose one player to give that contract to, I don't think it would be Miller. I think that he's a very good player, and I think this year obviously was one of his best years. He can produce on the power play a ton. You know, he can. He has a good shot. He can set up his teammates. There's a lot there, but I also look at the five-on-five production versus the power play production. I'm like, maybe you know those those high point totals we need to like dig a little bit deeper into before jumping at that kind of contract. Um, if he's your only deal that you're looking at that you're going, this might age a little iffy, like you can manage it. But in Vancouver, I don't think that they have that luxury as much. Um, Mm. So it's a bold choice for sure to go for it. It makes sense why they wanted to after his season. But I think teams get so blinded by that and really need to look at like the aging curves and power play production and all things like that and contemplate a little bit more before they just throw money at players. What should Colorado be looking at right now? So defending Stanley Cup champions, uh, you know, no Nazem Kadri, as we all know. So Alex Newhook gets a shot as the as the second line center. We'll see if you know they have to make a make a deal to uh, to address that second line center hole somewhere you know on the horizon here. Um, but you know, one of the things that we talked plenty you and I about Valeri Nichushkin the last couple of seasons and how you know underrated he was, one of the best two way players in the league, and has been so for the last few seasons and had a real coming out party towards the end of the season, certainly into the playoffs. Uh, I know he was, you know, low key, maybe, you know, hipster pick for the con Smythe for, for some people as well. Uh, and then he gets rewarded with a, a pretty lucrative contract at $6.125 million. And I looked at it and I said, well, he's being rewarded because he's a really good player. And then you look at his season and you might say, well, offensively, he's only really had the one year that might seem like a lot of money. For Valeri Nachushkin, how did you how did you see that deal, and how do you see the Colorado Avalanche this season, and do they have enough to do it all again, Shana? 
So that contract, I think, I think with any contract, we're going to see when a player is in their late 20s signing it. We're going to look at those last couple of years ago. That might not age great, but sometimes you have to pick and choose which contracts you can manage, to, yeah. you know, for that. And Nitsu's going to get the hesitancy because he only had the one scoring season. But when you look at his whole time in Colorado, you can look at everything he's done below the surface. He was in their middle six and, you know, on a great third line. And everything that made him successful last year, he continued. You know, he was doing before this, and he's still continued to, continuing to do that. His game hasn't changed. He just has better line mates, and all of a sudden is finishing the chances that he should have sooner. So I think that no matter what, as a top six player, he's going to be successful, you know, in the scoring columns and below the surface. And if the scoring starts to fade, and eventually at the end of that contract, he shifts to the third line, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing to have because he's someone that you're going to want regardless, you know, Everyone's going to look at that Tampa Bay third line forever, right? That's the one that everyone's dreaming about for years. Well, if he's not scoring, then you have a player that fits that mold, that's hard to play against, can generate offense, and is really good defensively to round out your third line. You're in a good position. And that's why I like the Lekkonen acquisition and signing because you have two of those players. You have the option to have these two disruptors who, no matter what situation they're in, still play to their strengths and are very consistent in how – they play and how they facilitate their teammates and you have an option for each of your top six lines so you can spread out your big three even more that's a great position to be in so even though the avalanche did have key subtractions and you know they're going to feel the difference of not having Kadri, they're still a really good team this is still a team to beat and rightfully so and you know they showed in the playoffs you can get by with average goaltending if you're elite offensively and defensively which we know them to be mm-hmm. and you know We've seen from other teams, if you don't have that contender, second, you know, second line center caliber player, if you have great wingers, and for now we can assume it'll be Landeskog and Nichushkin or some combination of Rantanen and Lekkanen, you know, you're probably going to be just fine too. So there's still the team to beat for me. Um, one more thing about Colorado before I ask you about um, the waiver wire. Um, Kel McCarr. Uh, so he's picking up all the hardware, Stanley Cup, Conn Smythe. You know, this year, you know, I can pencil him in and say I can see him winning the Hart Trophy. Uh, I don't know that he's going to beat, you know, Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl for the Art Ross, but oh, if any defenseman's going to take a shot at it, it's probably going to be Kale McCarr. Uh, your thoughts on this guy? I, I remember, I don't remember, it was before I was born, but one of the stories <laughs> that we can all recall, uh, if you know anything about history, is Harry Howell of the New York Rangers was given the Norris Trophy in what was it 1966 i believe and they gave him the norris trophy because a longtime defenseman was really good had never won it before and everybody knew that bobby orr was going to dominate the norris trophy for like 10 years and nobody else was going to touch it so they gave with harry to harry howell and said you know harry enjoy it this is going to be bobby's trophy now for another 10 years you know, when you look at Kale McCarr, are we looking at like this multi-year reign for the Norris and always in conversation for the hard? And, you know, the point that I've been trying to make lately is if Connor McDavid were a defenseman, he'd be Kale McCarr. Uh, do you have a thought on the uh, the standout on the back end for the Avalanche? Yeah, I think this is definitely a player that we're going to get bored talking about in the Norris conversation. You know, in 10 years, we'll still, still probably be talking about him. But I think it's interesting because, if we start looking at defense differently and with the Norris trophy points are always talked about, which mm-hmm. only really matters. So they matter, but only so much in the grand scheme of everything that should go into that trophy conversation. As long as we keep weighing points, he's going to be at the top of the charts, which makes sense because he belongs there for more reasons than just the scoring. But if we start expanding on that, which I do hope we do a little bit more, I think we can have more conversations about players like, Miro Heiskanen jumping into it, and I would be very surprised if he's not top five this year. And Charlie McAvoy, who I don't think got the appreciation he deserved last year because you saw Makar and Yossi scoring, you know, crushing everyone else's. But with Makar, he's he's such an interesting player because he is that new wave defenseman, that that roving player. And we saw that a a bit with Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones in Columbus, but neither of them are the caliber that Kale Makar is. So this is the player that, hopefully so many kids are watching and strive to be like, and hopefully more coaches try to look at how their players can, you know, try to play that, you know, emulate his game as much as possible to have a more active defense. You know, if you see a player has the skating ability and, you know, maybe you can start working on the offensive side of it some more, there are going to be, you know, 20 players 
in the league who start playing similar to Cam Carr. So I think that there's so much potential here, not just for the trophy to win and the Norris conversation, but what he can do for the game because I think everybody saw if they had any questions about what kind of player he was, you know, had it answered last year of like, this is the player to beat. So if you can't beat him, start making more camel cars. You know, I I know you love to, um, to identify these conversations as modern hockey with my favorite millennial, Shana Goldman. (laughs) Let me, uh, let me throw this one out at you because more and more, and I was having this conversation, even this morning with someone from baseball as a matter of not even from the hockey world, and he was saying to me, you know, because uh, I've talked to him about this uh, this idea of, of of positionless hockey before. He said, "Are we? Are we it seems like we're getting there even closer." And he's like a huge hockey viewer. Everybody watches a lot of hockey games. Uh, you watch a ton. We all watch a ton. Are we, in your mind, moving closer, even just inching closer to positionless hockey? Yes, I do. I think you know when we hear the word positionless hockey, maybe everyone's thinking that it's just five players on the ice, and it's not going to be that way. There's going to be forwards, there's going to be defensemen, there's going to be forwards who are good at offense and who are bad defensively, and there's going to be defensemen who are good defensively with no offense or vice versa. But I think it's just identifying players' strengths and trying to figure out how to how to make a team better. If you have a player like everyone was talking about, Mitch Marner, obviously you don't want him to play defense. 25 nights a game it doesn't make sense but if you're trailing in a game and you can find a way to activate him on defense so Mm. you essentially have four forwards and one defenseman out there you're doing something right and the fact that they know what he can do defensively from you know his play on the penalty kill he's one of the best penalty killers and he's put in some of the toughest situations for a penalty killer to still have those results is so impressive but these are players, you look at Marner and you say, this is a player who is such a good forward and he's so smart offensively that he can anticipate what opposing teams are going to do. So it's an intriguing option to push him in that situation. Um, and just overall having more players with that versatility is going to make the game better. You look in women's hockey, it's very common for them to have a center and defender you know, in one. Mm-hmm. And you can shift throughout the game if needed, if someone gets hurt or the situation calls for it. You know, it's just kind of forcing things out of the box that they're currently in. And it, it's, you know, concepts over just positions. You know, um, you know who so that, it's not gonna, just a quick pause. You know who that was? Cassie. That was Cassie Campbell. Oh, Cassie Campbell. Yeah. I, I love it. It's great. To, it's great to have, especially when you consider like the shorter bench that they had, you know, outside of the national level. It's something that you have these options. You know, you never know what a situation in the game is going to call for. We know teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning, how they shut things down at the last 10 minutes of a game, maybe it helps that they have a center that they know they can put out there and is essentially a third defender in that moment. You know, mm. it's just breaking players out of so, the standard roles and trying to look at it differently. So here, here's what I was thinking about when you and I were, were, were texting about this. Um, will hockey ever have its version of Shohei Otani? Um, and if so, is it the forward that can also play defense, the defender that can also play forward, or either a defender or a forward who can also play net? Give us an equivalence. Well, <laughs> if we had a skater who could play goaltender, that would be so incredible, and that would push me to say if a goalie takes a penalty, he's going to the penalty box because we know someone else can step in there. Um, that's a spicy, and that's a very you idea, and I love it, but... Um, I think, I think that we've already seen teams go with a defenseman as a 12th forward, and it can be a little bit bland, but I think it's more interesting for, like you look at the Ke'Andre Millers, who was a forward who converted to defense, and I would be curious if a team ever decided in a moment of a game that they want, you know, more defense, but without being too, you know, one-dimensional, having him play a couple shifts at forward could be interesting. Right. I feel like maybe we will see a little bit more like the Makar stepping up into forward positions and things like that in key moments of games. And you feel comfortable, you know, if it's a six on five and normally you would go with, you know, five forwards and one defenseman. If you go with two defensemen, you feel it's okay because one of those defensemen is Cal Makar, which is the equivalent of a really good forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would like to see more forwards playing defense. I think that would be really intriguing just at certain parts of games. Like why not? It's five minutes to go. You're down by a goal, go four and one. Like, it's just something a little different. And the five-forward power play, we're seeing, like, someone like Barkov can play the point and handle the defensive role. You know, I, th- I think we've, we've seen that with defensemen, but mainly mainly we've seen defenders play 
in front of the net on power plays. Like that's that's been common. But I I I I, I like what you're putting down on this one here. Um, Shane, I've got 30 seconds left with you. Who do you like this year? Like which? Not who do you think is going to win the cup, but which team intrigues you the most? Give me a fast 30 on that. The Islanders, because every time we see a coaching change, we see so many other changes around it. The roster is 99% the same, and a new coach is coming in. And so I think that that's so intriguing because we're going to see the direct influence of that coach on the team, I would think. And also how different is an assistant that worked with the head coach for so long from, you know, his, his, the, from the head coach. So they're the team for me. I'm so curious how that shakes out. The Millennial Hockey Report, is that where you're going with now? Whatever you want. Yeah, that's what we can call it. Oh, you're the best. Uh, Shannon, we'll have you on plenty. Uh, You will be a star soon, my friend, if you aren't uh, already one. Thanks so much for this. We'll check in soon. Thanks for having me. Shannon Goldman. Uh, Man, she's smart. Uh, From the Too Many Men podcast and The Athletic, a big thanks to Shannon for stopping by. Thanks to Brad for Living, Calgary Flames general manager, talking about a very busy offseason for the, uh, the Flames whether it's the Kachuk deal, whether it's what happened with Johnny Gaudreau, et cetera. And also thanks to Elliot Friedman for kicking things off. Merrick Show returns tomorrow.